Well, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. Right, this is, we're moving past all the familiar parts of Daniel, and now we're going to get to the weird parts. So you can buckle up for some apocalyptic literature. Right, lots of dreams and visions and different strange foreign metaphors. Um, right, so I'm, I'm hoping, I'm going to try and go slow, and what I, my plan as we go through this, right, whenever you get into the apocalypse, you talk about Revelation, um, it's, it's really easy to get lost in the weeds. So we're going to blaze a trail to get our 20,000-foot view so that when you read us, you're, you're encouraged and not just lost. <laughs> right? And, right? So apocalypse, apocalyptic literature. It does not mean that zombies are coming, so you don't need to hoard your toilet paper this year. <laughs> right? So you can calm down. Uh, apocalyptic literature is just, it's, it's another word for revelation. You're being shown pictures. Um, so we are going to experience an apocalypse. We're going to get picture upon picture to show us what God and the world are really like. And I think this is actually helpful. We're, we're moving from a, a more word-based form of communication to everything is visual these days. Right? So apocalyptic literature is really helpful. It's visual communication from God. And what's up to us is try and translate the the ancient metaphors in a way to see, see what's helpful. All right, so let's read it. We'll get, a, we'll get our feet under us, and then we'll, we'll look at what this has to teach us today. This is God's word from Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in bed. He wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns... And behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool, His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued 
and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this, and he told me and make known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the other ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and there shall, another shall arise after them. He shall be, shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. And this is God's word uh, spoken to us today. In love, it's true and trustworthy. Let's pray. Our Father and God behind this strange communication is hope for us who are frustrated with a world that is unfair, who've been wounded, who are exhausted. And so through all this, I, hope, I ask that you would help us see Jesus, that we would see him higher and more exalted than when we first came, 
and that we then would be sent out encouraged, uh, not, not scared, but confident in your sovereign rule, in your sovereign grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> All right, well, what do you think? <laughs> it's an unsettling dream. All right, and you know, most of us think, and this is usually how modern visions go someone says, God told me, God showed me a vision. But did you catch Daniel's response? It's nothing like our modern visions, is it? It's not a triumphant, God showed me what's going to happen, this is what we must do. I mean, when you read what Daniel's, Daniel was terrified. Right? Verse 15, he's anxious, he's alarmed. I mean, you can just go through all the different translations. He's disturbed, he's grieved, he's agitated. Uh, Eugene Peterson says he's in shock, like a man who's just seen a ghost. Right? And so I think there is a sense that what we just saw is meant to disturb us. It's meant to haunt us. It's meant to help us see the world as it really is and then find hope from the God who is sovereign over that. So that's why I said, what's your reaction? If we aren't at least a little bit disturbed or unsettled or unnerved by what we read or what you saw, I, th I think we're missing the point of it. So let let's look at it again. It'll help. We're going to have to, like I said, we're going to go hack through the weeds because it is, it is an ancient form of communication. The metaphors are different. But I think as you un we understand the meaning of the, the vision, it'll help us. And there is good news to come, so just buckle up and hold on. All right, so as so we look at this, the first point, it's a jungle out there, right? It's, it's lots of beasts. The first thing you notice, chapter, verse 1, we have gone from Nebuchadnezzar to Belshazzar, to Darius the Mede, and now Daniel in chapter 7 goes back to Belshazzar under, right, in his first year, and it's Daniel who's received the dream rather than these uh, Babylonian kings, right, and what is it that, Dan that Daniel sees that scares him? It's these beasts, these animal-like kings, especially the fourth one that devours, shatters, and if there's anything left, it stomps on them to, to nothing. And specifically, it goes to war against the saints, right? That the powers of this world, uh, well, Daniel just saw that God's loved ones are going to suffer for God's sake. But why aren't we bothered or freaked out by this? Maybe you are. Maybe, you are, maybe I'm misreading you, but I think part of this for me, I know, is that the metaphors are so strange. Uh, they just don't land. They get lost in translation, right? So... One of my classmates in seminary was Brazilian, and he, he was there. He was in Mississippi for at least four years, and he said when he got to America, one of the most exciting things for him was to learn all of the English idioms and just figure out how to use them, right? And they're just word pictures that sound weird, but completely normal to us for who are natural English speakers, right? So if I say to you, you really let the cat out of the bag, you save me from going on a wild goose chase. If you take that literally, that makes no sense. But we all know, because English is our first language, I gave you a secret that saved you from wasting a lot of time. Right? It's, just, it's the same here in Daniel. Um, 
these mutant beasts coming out of the sea, uh, these images would be familiar to the, to the original audience. So if you look at it again, as these four winds of heaven are stirring the waters, this great sea, I mean, it's like tsunami level epic type waves and chaos and, and turmoil. These are the chaotic waters. Right? We think sea, we think the ocean, that's a place to go rest, right? Let's go, on, let's go on vacation. It's not something to shudder in fear of, but for the ancient Jews, the sea was a place of horror. It was a place of, that's where evil and chaos came from. All right. So one commentator said, you know, the description of sea imagery, everyone listening in Daniel's day would be on the edge of their seats because it evokes horror. They're anticipating evil to come out of this. It's not going to be good. So for us, right, you think of a horror movie, this young, not-so-smart teenager wanders off into the dark woods by themselves. Right? Everybody watching knows it's not going to be well for that kid. <laughs> right? They're not coming home. Because to us, evil lurks in the dark woods, the things you cannot see. For the Jews, it was the sea. Evil comes from the sea, and so when these four beasts in particular come out, a lion, a bear, munching on its ri- somebody's ribs, uh, you have a leopard and this super mutant crazy thing, whatever that is, um, it's not surprising that evil would come up out of the sea. Right? So let, be on edge. Evil is coming. That's, that's what this is showing us. So look at the beasts, and then we'll see how this helps us. The first beast, like a lion with eagle's wings, and then the wings are plucked off, and then it's, well, it's lifted up from the ground, it stands up like a human being, it's given the mind of a man. This is supposed to be a terrifying image, right? Because it's a beast that's like a lion, yet it's human. It's human, yet it acts like a predator. It's able to think. It knows what it's doing. And so before you ever try and identify, and this is what, if you've heard this sermon preached, like what kings and kingdoms these beasts represent, right? If you use history to kind of line them up, you know, is this Babylon? Is this Greece? Is this Persia? What this really is doing is giving us a whole different way to look at creation in the world. We're being shown something about human nature, about how we instinctively use power for our own good, for our own gain, at the cost of others. Right? You see this all over the Bible. Uh, the message of the entire Bible, that there's something about human beings that we're capable of great good, but we so want to be in charge, that we so much want to be, well, have dominion. We do so often at the expense of others. Right? Or in terms of our Sunday school class, whereas God is slow to anger, we're quick to get angry. Right. So you look at our reflection that was on the front of your, your paper. The picture of the beasts in Daniel 7, says Tremper Longman, it's consistent with the lesson that we learned throughout the entire Bible that it, every man and woman at heart is a self-seeking rebel against God and are willing to crawl over the bodies of our fellow human beings just to gain an advantage for ourselves. I know it's cheery stuff. Right. Well, so what does the rest of the Bible say? Well, 
Go to Romans 3. Paul just lays out a whole summary of why there's no one righteous, no, not one. And he, he quotes the Psalms. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Right? Think about all the, it's simple, but think about all the different ways we use our tongue to make ourselves look good. Uh, it goes on to say, the venom of asps of poisonous snakes is under their lips. So there he is, he's using that beastly language. Our words are like deadly venom full of cursing and bitterness. Right? We know that. You have words rattling around in your brain spoken to you from years ago that are still haunting you. And others have our words rattling around in their brain, unfortunately. Right? It's beastly. Right, Romans 3 continues, their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known because there is no fear of God before their eyes. It'd be really easy to say, yeah, well, Paul's just a pessimist. <laughs> right? I mean, he's describing the whole human race. What about Jesus? Well, here's Mark 7. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come out of the human heart. Right. I feel a little bit more unsettled. <laughs> these beasts, they are kings rising up out of the earth, as Daniel was told, but this is like, this is not how creation was meant to be. Right? That, but this is the world in which we live, where human beings act like beasts. We use power for our own gain at the expense of others. But there is hope. Right? And this is why I think you can apply this to not just specific kings. It's, when you get to verses 26 and 27, it says there's a day coming when all destructive, violent, evil human power is destroyed forever. Right? It's going to be consumed and destroyed to the end. Right? This beastly power, will not, it will not always be so. <laughs> but it takes a big picture view, doesn't it? Well, so you got that picture in your head now. Let's look at the beast number two, the bear one like a bear, with three ribs in his mouth, devouring flesh. Right? It's just violence. Uh, you got beast number three, a leopard with four wings. You know, leopards are predators again, but the wings are trying to show that they, can, that they move quickly. And it says it's given dominion. And dominion is a Genesis word used to describe human beings. What we were supposed to be, right? To be fruitful multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over all these creatures. But when a leopard that's able to fly and hunt you down is given dominion, it's not good for those under its rule. Right? Scary. Then you get to beast number four, the super beast. Right? It's terrifying, it's dreadful, exceedingly strong, it has teeth, it devours, it breaks, it stomps. It's this mutant, horned, freaky hybrid creature. I don't know what you want to call it. It's kind of like a rhino, but there's horns coming all over the place. And it sprouts this talking horn 
which is pretty obnoxious. It won't stop talking. It just keeps saying great things, which is another way of saying it just won't stop talking about itself. It's boasting. Right? I mean, what is it talking about? The, the things it's done. Right? Think of the description of it. Devouring, breaking, stamping, crushing, causing harm. And the great things it's talking about are all of his exploits. I heard it put this way. You know, this, this tiny horn is a proud, boastful braggart. It's boasting of its strength, proud of its immunity to hurt and destroy and kill. It's just happily wallowing in its injustice. So this thing is a ruthless hybrid critter with a voracious appetite for other humans, and it can't shut up about it. <laughs> right, we get this, don't we? Right? I mean, we talk about in sports, we really slaughtered the other team on the basketball court. That's harmless. I guess unless you're on the losing team, it's not good for your self-esteem. But, right? but you look at human history, what happens when one group looks at another and uses dehumanizing language? It says, you're a cockroach and you need to be stamped out. Right? That's boasting. You put all that together, and this is the 20,000-foot view. Daniel's showing us that the world out there is a jungle. Full of people acting like beasts, abusing power, boasting about it. God's good creation has been corrupted. It's been twisted. It's been made not good. By who? By humans who are acting like beasts. So you picture Genesis 1, there's these chaotic waters and God makes good come out and he plants humans on earth to do good. Dan Daniel chapter 7 is showing us the opposite picture. Out of the sea come these terrifying kingdoms who are causing harm. Right? So you can, you can, you can try and nail down particular kingdoms and some people do and it's convincing. I mean, the lion, eagle, thing sounds an awful lot like Nebuchadnezzar's experience of Babylon being like a lion and he's described like an eagle in other places in the Bible but it makes a lot more sense to to say this is the evil world in which we live we're being shown a picture and that's why I think there's more going on if you look at the heavenly courtroom right this is we're moving from the jungle, it's a jungle out there to this heavenly courtroom. What does God think of all this? All right, so you got the little horn that replaces these others. He can't not talk about himself, all right? All right. Part of the reason I think this is hard for us to be encouraged by is because we're so comfortable. And I'm comfortable. Even in this year, I mean, this has been a hard year, but in terms of oppressive regimes, we've got it pretty good here. And I mean, a friend overseas was telling me uh, his job is to work on clean water uh, for, for refugee camps and just around the country where he's at. Right? So just the fact that there are refugee camps because kings fight and the poor get trampled. Right? That's beastly behavior. That's as normal as he drove home to go to his wife and child. He said he had to go on a long detour around unrest in the city because, because two political leaders were at odds. One's been in power forever, 
and he was arresting the opposite candidate, and there, were, there was gunfire. Right? That was his two weeks ago. And so when I hear those kind of things and I look at the world through those kind of lenses from Daniel 7, I say to God, what are you going to do? Deliver us from evil. Yeah. Right? I need you to do something. And so the beasts are a culmination of all that the Old Testament has talked about, how destructive sin is, that everyone's a sinner. Um, somehow we're, we're a source of misery at some point, not all the time, right? This isn't, we're all bad all the time. It's just there's something in us that comes out. We bite, we devour. And so when it shifts all of a sudden into the heavenly courtroom, we get to see that evil will not reign forever. The courts will be open. The books, everything that bad has happened is written down and recorded, and the books are going to be open. So, right, Merry Christmas. Judgment is coming. <laughs> but I think this is helpful because, I mean, just this year we've seen a rise in dehumanizing, cruel language to describe the other. In the last couple of weeks, I've heard both liberal and conservatives in our country say if we are not in power, the other side has to pay. I'm cleaning this up here. We're going to burn things. There was a whole march about why we should start a civil war now rather than later. Right? We need it. See, if you limit this passage just to Daniel's world and the kingdoms and follow, it doesn't make sense of this courtroom scene where God deals with all evil all at the same time. And that's what we want, isn't it? Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. All right, so if we're transported into this heavenly courtroom, what does Daniel see? Daniel sees the Ancient of Days take his seat. It's a name for the living God. It describes his eternity. He's infinite. He's infinitely wise. He's infinitely just. He's infinitely holy. He's infinitely good. This is the one whom you want to judge. But there's actually two thrones. That's what we're going to see, right? One for the Ancient of Days, one for God, and one for the Son of Man, who we're going to see. But just look at who God is in comparison to these beasts. His hair and clothes are white. It's just saying he, he judges fairly. He's pure. He's holy. There's fire everywhere. The throne, the wheels, uh, right? God has a Godmobile, apparently. I mean, I've heard it put that way. He's got fiery wheels on his chariot, which is he's able to go pursue, right? He isn't stationary. There's a, there's a river of fire flowing out from, from his throne. He's going to purify or consume. And then the books are opened as thousands upon thousands watch. Right? It's such an encouraging thing if you've been crushed by any kind of evil. Right? The books are opened. The harm that is done to others, all human evil, no matter how mundane it may be, a careless word, you know, a, a, a deliciously delightful dream that is full of vengeance. That's recorded. Right. So who's in the who's the defendant? 
who's in the dock? It's this tiny horn. It's such a bizarre scene, but, you know, this is in the heavenly courtroom. He's in God's presence, and he can't shut up about himself. He's still saying great things. That's what got Daniel's attention as he looks back. This thing is still talking, still saying how great I am. Despite of it, its guilt, it has no shame. And that's when the, the, this evil thing is destroyed and cast into the fire to be consumed. So if you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, having already been through the fiery furnace, seeing evil, seeing the beast thrown into the fire, this is encouraging. Okay. See, what we're being shown is that though the wrong seems off so strong, it will not always be so. <laughs> Judgment is coming. Justice is coming. Right. So, pause. How are you processing this, right? If you put yourself in Daniel's shoes, if you put yourself in the, the shoes of the oppressed, if you have received any kind of abuse or cruelty or harm, the question that we always ask is, how do you do justice? I mean, people have been rioting in the streets trying to answer that question this year. And how does anyone do justice, for that matter, without becoming like a bear, putting someone's ribs in your mouth? You know, without rising up and becoming cruel like the oppressor? Right? And so Daniel 7 is here to show us that vengeance belongs to the Lord. That all evil, the books will be open, will stand in judgment. And every ounce will be purified, removed, eradicated. All wrongs will be made right. The haunting thing for us, right? If all humans are plagued with sin and we harm one another, and that no one is righteous, no, not one, as Romans tells us, and all evil must be judged and consumed for there to be peace, what about us? <laughs> and that's why we need the Son of Man. So, right? God will get justice, but first he has to tame the beasts. Right? See, after seeing all that is wrong with humans and their kingdoms on the earth, the Ancient of Days, this is what's so shocking, right? You have this blistering condemnation of human beings. They're beasts. And then he calls a human being a son of Adam, right? That, that's all that phrase means, is he's a human, to come and sit on the throne and he gives them everything. He gives them dominion, glory, kingdom. All peoples, nations, and language are going to serve him. This is what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to be. God just gives it to, to the Son of Man. And it's a kingdom that will never fade. So you're meant to ask, who in the world is this mysterious figure? One like a son of man. Somebody is worthy to hold all power, all authority. God trusts him. Right? But he's also more than human, right? He's like a son of man, but he also comes riding on the clouds. It's verse 13. He rides the clouds to be presented in God's presence. And in the Old Testament, the only one who rides the clouds is God himself. Psalm 147, he makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. Right? The only cloud rider in the scriptures is, is God. 
God rides the clouds down to Mount Sinai to give the Ten Commandments. God rides the clouds to lead Israel through the desert. Right? God rides the clouds when he comes down on the tabernacle and, the, and all of Israel can see his glory, his presence, the fact that he's there. Right? So now you see in the picture, you have a human being, a son of man, who does things that only Israel's God is able to do He's human, made from the dust, but yet he's eternal. Who is this guy? (laughs) It's a God-man. Jesus Christ. So it's no wonder that when Jesus came to earth, that the, the most common description I think that he gave himself was, I am the Son of Man. Like 82 times. When Jesus forgives... When his eyes soften with compassion towards the sick, towards the hard-hearted, towards the cruel, uh, towards the grieving, when he commands us to show mercy, he identifies himself as the Son of Man. This person right here, Jesus had this picture in mind when he wanted people to understand who he was. Right? I was going to take time to just run through the Gospel of Mark, but that would take us another hour. (laughs) And so not doing that, go read the Gospel of Mark and just see where Jesus calls himself the Son of Man and what he's up to. And come back to Daniel. You'll be surprised. But the first time Jesus uses that is in the story of the paralytic, this paralyzed man who can't walk. And the, the religious guys are ready to, to critique Jesus because it's, I think it's a Sabbath, if I remember correctly. But Jesus says to these religious folks, what is easier? To say to someone, your sins are forgiven, or to rise up and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man, so here's Daniel, has the authority to forgive sins, rise up and walk. And everyone's minds explode. Because just like this, who, who can ride the clouds except God? Who, who, nobody can forgive sin except God, God alone. And that's the point. The Son of Man is more than human, but he is like us, made from the dust. And what Jesus showed everyone in that little scene is that our beastly thoughts, words, and deeds, it's an offense against Jesus, against the God who made us. But he has the authority to forgive because of what God does here in Daniel 7. Go halfway through the book, and then Jesus says, guess what? The Son of Man has to die. He must suffer many things, and he must be killed, and after three days he'll rise again. The one who comes on the clouds of heaven must be crucified. Ultimate cosmic power and authority, yet he must be killed. He must suffer for his saints. One of the most shocking things that Jesus says about himself is in the context of an argument of beastly behavior by his disciples. You remember the argument in Mark chapter 10, right? Jesus, you're going to pick the best humanity has to offer, and these grown men are acting like toddlers, right? Because they all want to be at the top. Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can I have the best seat? And then when the others find out that they had the audacity to ask, they got mad because they didn't think of it first, and they just start bickering. 
back and forth. And Jesus says, knock it off. And he calls them and says, you know, those who are considered rulers use power, and they exercise authority over them, and they lord that power over others. But it should not be so among you. Whoever would be great must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be last, must be the slave. For the Son of Man, there's Daniel 7 again, he didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many, to die. Did you catch any of that in Daniel when you read it the first time? <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't. Right? But, but you do get a clue, and this is what I want us to see. As Daniel 7 shows us this human being who is in charge over everything, over every human being, he will rule and reign over you. This is your king. Right? But if you look at verse 18, who's the kingdom given to? First it's given to the Son of Man, then it's given to the saints, the church. In verse 27, the, not only the kingdom, but the greatness of, of these earthly kingdoms are going to be given to the saints of the Most High. Right. So there's two things here. Everything Jesus has is the Son of Man, and this is right here in Daniel, the Son of Man it must have already been by design ready to give what God gave him to the church. That what the Son of Man has, so the saints have. Right? He has authority over the nations. That's astounding. I mean, you think about it. All our desire to be great, to be loved, to be someone important, to have power, to be the center of attention. What does Jesus do with it? He's got the center of attention. He's the only one able to stand in judgment. He just gives it all away. He shares his honor, his righteousness, his standing in God's presence. He gives it to the saints, to the nobodies, to those who have been trampled by the cruelty, those who have taken up their cross and chosen to follow Jesus. That's amazing. So somehow in here, Jesus saw that everything he was doing was to be for someone else. So how do we get in on that gift? How do we receive the gift according to Daniel? Right? And we don't really see it until you get to Mark. It's kind of a mystery. And that's why I say we're, we're, we're taking the 20,000-foot view. We're not going to stare at the weeds too long. Right? When you get, get to the end of the Gospels, there's a, another famous courtroom scene. You've got to keep this courtroom scene in Daniel 7 and Jesus on trial in your head at the same time. Right? But Jesus quotes Daniel 7. He's on trial for blasphemy and the high priest keeps talking as Jesus is on trial. Right? Who's the one who doesn't shut up and stop boasting in Daniel? It's the super beast, the one who represents evil. That of itself surprising, Right? The high point of the religious system of the day is equated with this evil creature. Well, then the high priest, as they're trying to, they're lying to put Jesus to death, the high priest stands up and says, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus stays quiet, and so the high priest says, all right, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And what does Jesus say? 
He says, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, sitting on the throne, and coming on the clouds of heaven. Right now, as he's on trial. Where do you see Jesus seated next? It's on the cross. That's his throne. That's what the gospel writers want you to see. Bearing the judgment of God for our beastly behavior, for the sake of the saints, in order to forgive us, in order to give us the kingdom so that we might rule and reign with him. And then also have dominion over our corner of the world the way he has dominion, right? Become a servant. Serve. It's amazing grace. It's astounding. Right? It's not that the saints are the, the holy ones and the, and the world out there is evil. It's Jesus came to tame our beastly behavior so that we might learn a whole new way of being human and go out and serve. Right? And let's just tie this together. Let's conclude. I mean, this is about Jesus. And if you have specific questions, you can ask me. I don't know if I'll have an answer because this is part of it. The, this bombards your imagination, but it's trying to show you that Jesus, no matter how bad this gets, God has a king. His name is Jesus. And he was working to give you the kingdom. All right? So first, here's, here's how we're going to apply this. What injustice in your life and in the world just makes you quake with rage? Right? You look out and you see beastly behavior. What is it that makes you mad? It says that needs to change. I mean, here's one. In our country, one in three women have been faced some kind of abuse. Right. beastly behavior. And in the worst cases, it's, it's recorded and put online. Right. What do, I don't even know how to deal with that. But what this does is helps us not be naive about what's wrong with the world, and it helps us not panic when you run into real evil. Right? One, if you have this naive view that people are basically good, you will always be surprised when people in power abuse that power. And you will always be surprised when it shows up in the church. When you think about that image of Jesus on trial by the high priest who's supposed to be the representative for mankind in God's presence, and he's described as the super beast, this talking horn, boasting. Right? So yeah, it keeps us from being naive, but it also helps us not panic because if we're the trampled, we see that there is hope. You know, rescue is coming. Right? Daniel shows the trampled what to groan for, that all the beastly rulers throughout the whole world, not just in, in our country, right? all tribes, tongues, and nations are going to serve the Son of Man, and he will administer justice. He will right those wrongs. Right? So when evil raises its ugly head, what we're called to do is look at Jesus again, the Son of Man enthroned on a cross who knows what it's like to suffer abuse, injustice, but then who also calls us to forgive as we've been forgiven. Right? 
I mean, that's, that's the hope. Verse 27, when it says, The greatness of these kingdoms under heaven will be given to the people of the saints most high. One of the things we look forward to is they take what the world takes. Right? That's what selfishness does. It takes. And the promise is that everything they earned unjustly will be given to the saints. I don't even know what that means other than God's going to be generous. Right. So first... This passage helps us not be naive and helps us not panic. But second, it also helps us see how loved we are, does it not? I mean, after hearing that description of what we're really like, we should be laughing that God would want to give us anything. I mean, we're crying at the audacity of God, calling human beings saints. But that's what we are made in Christ, through faith. And so if, if these things are true and Jesus is taming your beastliness, we should take more seriously Lord, the, the Lord's Prayer. Father, you're in heaven. May your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth. Help us go out forgiving, forgiving our debtors as, as you have forgiven us our debts. Right? It's a totally different way of living, is it not? Of choosing to forgive rather than growl back of choosing to be wounded in order to gain a friend so we forgive. That's the Jesus way, where we join and share in his sufferings for the sake of someone else. And even if it, even if it costs us, it will cost us. I mean, the vision of Daniel 7 is even bigger for the saints when it says, we will receive the greatness of the kingdoms. Jesus, I think, hints at this when he says in the new creation... This is Matthew 20, 28, but he says, not 20, 28, I'll get the reference later, 19, 28, there we go. But everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my name's sake right, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Would you hear what Jesus said? If you, we're going to lose things here but in the new creation, we're going to gain back more than we can imagine. Those who are willing to serve, to be at the bottom now, will be rewarded in heaven. So we have the assurance to go out and serve and spend everything we have to be generous the way the Son of Man's been generous. And how generous was Jesus? He gave up his whole life in order to purchase us. So, Last point, not last point, last point of conclusion. <laughs> We're not going back around. We have a mission to be on, and that, that's where this ends. Right? When Jesus um, is getting ready to ascend, to sit on his throne in heaven with all power and authority, Right? We're, we're sent out by king. If you have received this gift of grace, if you have received this kingdom, the way Jesus ends and equips his disciples is at the end of Matthew, and he says, go and make disciples. Right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Therefore, go. Right? That's a direct reference to Daniel 7. Right? Go and make disciples. While the world goes not well, that's what we're the business of the church. We go and make disciples. We're showing others the Jesus way. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them Jesus' will and ways with the promise that he will be with us. And so, why is that a comfort? Well, if you're going out to make disciples, you can be encouraged that sovereign Jesus wants others to be a part of his kingdom. And you can have the assurance that if you go to another nation, another country, another culture, or even go out into our neighborhood, there are those out there who are desperately crying to hear this good news, and they will hear it and will respond. And you have the authority to tell them in Jesus' name that they are forgiven. Right? You, it's not just a pastor's job. <laughs> right? You, ordinary you and ordinary me, have the authority in Jesus' name to tell someone else that they are forgiven of everything they've ever done if they would trust in Christ. Right? You wield, the church wields the keys of the kingdom. That's Jesus' words. And so the question is, are you participating in his mission when the one who commands you, the one who served you, and the one who loves you says go? And we can take the risk, knowing we're not alone. And even should we lose and fail and everything here, we will get more back in the kingdom of heaven when we see him face to face. I love... The perspective of Galatians 1. All right, this is our benediction. It says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. So there's the Son of Man language. He's, he came to serve us. Why? To deliver us from this present evil age. And it's all according to God's will, our good Father. And he gets all the glory as he does us good. So be encouraged. Though the world goes not well, God's kingdom has come in Jesus and it is still at work among us as we go out forgiving as we've been forgiven. Let's pray. Father, I pray that in all of the things we heard, um, that we would have seen the beauty of the gospel um, as we sang, beautiful Savior, Lord of the nations, Son of God, Son of man. Uh, so we, we give you great thanks for the grace we have received and ask that you would equip us to go out as your witnesses to show the world the beauty of grace as we are gracious to our family, to our friends, to our loved ones here at church, and to our neighbors. So may the Son of Man give us great courage and strength um, that we would be honored that you would see us in our suffering and choose to deliver us from it. So until that day when you return, may we be found faithful. In Christ's name we ask, amen.